Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a woman-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER. Well, everyone, it's a pleasure to introduce our next guest to the show here. This guy was the voice of the Camelot Blazers for five years, which included their last Memorial Cup win in 1995. Nowadays, you can catch him talking Vancouver Canucks on the Rinkwide podcast, as well as the Sakaris and Price show. Please welcome to the podcast, Jeff Patterson. How you doing? I'm doing excellent. Thanks for having me on. Well, we're excited to, we're excited to talk to you. So as a Camelot resident um, and somebody who's been very vocal about the Memorial Cup the last few days, um, I want to talk to you a little bit about what it was like for you to call the Memorial Cup back in 1995. Um, so maybe before we get into that, you can tell us what it was like for you to step into Kamloops in 1995 and call your first game. Yeah, I mean, it was incredible. Uh, just a little bit of a backstory for people that uh, maybe don't know my history. But I, I mean, I always wanted to do play by play. That was my thing. I went through university and uh, I went to UBC in Vancouver uh, and then went to BCIT for broadcast training and right out of BCIT I was lucky enough to get hired at CHNL radio in Kamloops which was the radio station that had the Blazers and so you know I I had no designs on getting the play-by-play job as early as I did but I thought this is incredible I'm in the building I'm working for the radio station I'm around these broadcasts at the very least and uh, you know you need some good balance in life and uh, I got one uh, early in my broadcasting career because Kelly Moore who had been doing the Blazer broadcasts and uh, yep. called the the win in 92 in Seattle and uh, was at the microphone for their Memorial Cup winning Laval in, in 1994 uh, after the 94 Memorial Cup he got hired in Winnipeg to do the Jets before they left for Arizona so the old Winnipeg Jets mm-hmm. oh, yeah. and jumped from jumped from junior hockey right to the National Hockey League so all of a sudden here is CHNL Radio, the home of the Kamloops Blazers, who are Memorial Cup champs in two of the previous three years. They know they're hosting the Memorial Cup in 1995, and now they need a play-by-play broadcaster. And so I went all in and <laughs> basically, you know, uh, just pestered my bosses as much as I could. But but this was a big hire. Like, they got applicants from all over Canada. Uh, oh, yeah. 
the plum job and a big year, obviously, for the defending Memorial Cup champs, knowing that they're going to host the tournament in the spring of 1995. And again, uh, who knows why things happen? I'm glad they did. And I was chosen to succeed Kelly Moore as the play-by-play voice of the Kamloops Blazers. So here I am. I think I was 23 at the time, maybe 24, getting... You know, in my head, I wanted to be a Western Hockey League broadcaster by the age of 30. And now I'm getting this chance at at 23 or 24 and not just a chance, but knowing that uh, the sort of pot of gold at the end of the rainbow was this Memorial Cup that Kamloops was hosting. The Blazers were going to be a part of it. Uh, Little did I know at the outset, you know, sort of the, the path that they would take to be Western Hockey League champs again and not rely on that automatic birth that they kicked the door down and went into the Memorial Cup, not only as Western Hockey League champs, but as prohibitive favorites uh, yeah. because of the team that they had assembled, the experience of the guys on it, the coaching staff. Uh, it, yeah, I mean, just an amazing first year on the job uh, for this young broadcaster that was just getting his feet wet and getting the opportunity of a lifetime. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. I mean, holy cow. I couldn't imagine that at 23. That would be, I would be um, amazed with myself. Um, so let's talk a little bit about those guys, though, that uh, you got to watch, like Aginla, Doan, Tucker, Nash, Baumgartner, Dominicelli, Strudwick. I mean, I could go on. Um, but, you know, did you know that a handful of those guys were going to go on to have the NHL careers that they did? Oh, I think you know that there's some incredibly talented players and with the coaching and just the legacy of the program uh, at that time in Kamloops that certainly those guys were on the fast tracks. Could I have told you then that Shane Doan and Jerome Ginlow were going to be among the all-time games played leaders in in the (laughs) National Hockey League and that kind of stuff and that Jerome was going to skate into the Hall of Fame? No, I I mean, I don't think anybody knew at that point. You just knew that they were... Uh, extremely talented players and you put a bunch of talented players on a team and yeah it was a special group there's no doubt I mean I, I think there were a lot of people that look back on that 1995 Camelot Blazers team and suggest strongly that it may have been the best junior hockey team of all time and you rattled yep. off you know you rattled off the names that everybody thinks of and all those guys that you mentioned played in the National Hockey League and and had solid careers in the NHL you know, then you get guys like Ryan Huska, who was an incredible junior hockey player uh, as an assistant coach with the Calgary Flames. You know, he played in the NHL uh, single digits, as I recall. It may have only been yep. one game, but he got he got into the into the National Hockey League. Uh, but he was a you know just a, a really smart two way centerman, uh, play in all situations. Don Hay loved him as a player. The trust was there. You know, so you had those kinds of players as well that maybe weren't the headliners. Uh, that people, when they look back on that team, they sort of get blinded by the star power. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Jason Holland on defense, he played in the NHL. Aaron yeah. Keller, who is an assistant coach with the current Cavaliers Blazers, he was just ahead of his time. He was an undersized defenseman who racked up points and was so smooth and ran the power play and those types of things and didn't get the opportunity that in today's NHL, mm-hmm. undersized defensemen, you know, people clamor to get their hands on those kinds of guys that can move the puck. And uh, yeah. know, it's not all about being the biggest guy on, on your hockey team. So, so there was the star power and then there was that next layer and that next layer was incredible as well. It really, it was a stack team. And uh, you know, I, I, I haven't heard a good argument against uh, that being the best junior team of, of all time. And they've got the Memorial cup championship to show for it. So it really was uh, an absolute juggernaut. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, you also got to see a Ginless score 63 goals in 63 games, too. So, I mean, <laughs> that was probably pretty amazing. Not, not well. that year, though. That or was not that year, year, but I mean, yeah. Yeah. No, but, the, so. the following year, I mean, Jerome came back, and, and you're right, 63 goals in 63 games. And he only played 63 games because he left and he played at the World Juniors. And I think he was a goal a game scorer at the World Juniors that year in Boston. And then in the playoffs, he scored 16 more and 16 more games. He ended up, if you, and at the, at the tail end of that season, and again, this is 95, 96. So the year after uh, the most recent Memorial Cup win, but at the end of that season, the, the Blazers got knocked out of the playoffs by Spokane. And as I recall, they were eliminated on a Saturday night and Jerome made his NHL debut in the playoffs for the Calgary Flames the next day, like flew from Kamloops <laughs> to Calgary and scored there. He scored at every level. He was basically a goal a game player. It didn't matter where he was playing, junior, regular season, playoffs, world juniors, all the way to the National Hockey League. So, yeah, I wow. mean, that year was, it was just off the charts good, but that was the year after. I mean, uh, you know, yeah. at that point, to answer your earlier question, by that point, when a guy's scoring 80 goals in the 80 games <laughs> yeah. he played, yeah, you had a you had a hunch <laughs> that uh, you were onto something pretty special. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, let's okay. So I jumped the year. Uh, I put that in our notes wrong. So let's go back just to the calling that Memorial Cup tournament and what it was like calling the final game and the win. I mean, it just explain like that from your perspective. I have never walked into a building. And I've covered a lot of hockey. Uh, you know, this was me getting started. I've been on the Canucks beat for 20 plus years in Vancouver now. Yeah, I don't think I've ever walked into a building knowing in my heart that the outcome was not in doubt. Mm. That the championship game was on the Sunday of the May long weekend back then. It was a yep. glorious day. I lived about four blocks from the rink. So I walked to the rink that day and the whole way just thinking like I'm essentially going to a coronation. There is no way <laughs> that the Detroit junior Red Wings can yep. beat the Campbell's Blazers. They just can't like they, it just, you know, here you are the Memorial cup. It's boiled down to the final two teams in junior hockey. And on some levels, it just didn't feel like a fair fight. And as it turned out, it wasn't eight, two was no, the final yeah. score. Kamloops <laughs> jumped out to a big lead and blew Detroit out of the water. And so, uh, you know, for, it was the culmination of the 10 day tournament in Kamloops but also the culmination of my first year on the job, but three Memorial Cup titles in four years. Like you think about junior hockey and the cycles and competitive windows and teams identify when, you know, they've got a group of 17 year olds that look something special that they're going to become 18s. And by the, you know, the time that that group is 19, maybe you've got something. And most yeah. teams kind of focus on attacking that one year window of opportunity. And, here were the Camelot Blazers. They won it all in 1992. Uh, didn't happen for them in 93, but they won it again in 94. And that 94 team, you know, the, the bulk of those guys were back in 95. And so I do think that the Blazers sort of targeted 95 with this idea that maybe they'd get to host the tournament. Mm -hmm. Everything was mm -hmm. sort of structured that way. And yeah. the 94 team just came together ahead of schedule and was an incredible team as well and won it all uh, in Laval, Quebec. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, Cam, I, I, like, I'm so glad that Kamloops get, is getting another opportunity to host mm. in 2023. It did an incredible job in 1995, uh, just the way the city embraced uh, the, the whole tournament. Not just, I mean, obviously people were all on board 
the Blazers as the home team, yeah. but it's such a great hockey city that in my mind, and I've been to other Memorial Cups. I went to the one in 1998 down in Spokane. I uh, was around the Memorial Cup here in 2007 when the, the Vancouver Giants won it. You know, so I've seen other Memorial Cups and, and the way uh, organizing committees have gone about, like but just the way the city embraced it and every storefront in downtown Kamloops, you know, flying the blazer flag and blue and orange and, and white. And uh, it, it just you knew something special was taking place for those 10 days that the tournament was in town and the weather was spectacular so you know Kamloops showed well on television to a national audience and and all those kinds of things but ultimately it's a hockey tournament and it is what happens on the ice and uh that yep. blazer team you know they knew the stakes mm -hmm. but they they were so confident that uh you know, you know other teams put up a good fight but yep. at the end i mean they were a steamroller and just flattened the competition yeah Absolutely. And they did. Yeah. Like you said, eight to two. Um, and they went on to do that. And you answered our next question. I was going to ask you about uh, what you thought about the return of the Memorial Cup to Kamloops. And you're, you're right, though. Like, even after that announcement, they sold out both the games here in Kamloops for the playoffs. And like, there was not even standing room in game seven against Seattle here in the conference finals. Mm. It's it's the atmosphere in town right now is just unbelievable. Mm. And yeah, it, and I'm, I'm delighted to hear that. Uh, you know, like I, I've been out of Kamloops for, for more than two decades now, but yeah. uh, there's always going to be a piece of my heart that yeah. uh, is there in Kamloops and, and Kamloops yeah. is, is with me. And, and I followed from an arm's length. I, I am by no means an expert in the current iteration of the Kamloops Blazers, but as they got into the playoffs and started to do the things they were doing and, you know, beating Vancouver and based here in Vancouver. So yeah. I was able to, to follow that series a little yep. closer than some. Uh, but you know, as it got deeper with Seattle too, like I was following along my phone on a nightly basis and wanted to make sure I knew what was going on there. And, and I was glad to hear that, uh, people sort of gravitated back and, and I have no mm. doubt that, uh, they'll pack the place in, in 2023. Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah, so, it, you know, it's such a good hockey town, obviously such a rich hockey history. And I just, I'm delighted that the Canadian hockey league still sees fit to take the Memorial cup to places like Kamloops because yeah. uh, we have seen, it's been held in bigger centers and bigger buildings uh, and sure it's a business and they want to sell as many tickets as possible, but you know, places like Kamloops are the lifeblood of junior hockey. And I, I just think you owe it to those site sorts of markets to be able to host the showcase events more than just a top prospects game as a one-off and, you know, yep. everybody's in for a day or two and then gone. Uh, so I am delighted that uh, the Memorial Cup, you know, hasn't passed a place like Kamloops by. And after all these years, uh, it just feels right that uh, the, the city's going to get another opportunity to be the host. And they're going to be a really good team too for, for the Memorial cup. I mean, I'm sure they're going to try to load up as well, <laughs> try to get some more, some more talent, which already they have like Logan Stankov has been amazing uh, for the team. And so it, it's pretty amazing to see what team they have now. I mean, of course they're not compared to that team in 95. I mean, nowhere near it, but uh, I mean, you never know what type the type of players will go to. So um, it's going to be fun to see Stan Cohen in the NHL and I don't know how much you followed him. I mean, he's been really good. Yeah. Well, it's funny because in the 2021 draft, the Vancouver Canucks didn't have a first rounder. They had traded it to Arizona. So yeah. they weren't involved on the opening night of the draft. Their first pick was in the second round. I think it was 41st. They selected Danila Klamovich from yeah. Belarusia yeah. Um, and, and or Belarus and, 
you know, at the time, I remember a lot of people thinking, okay, 41st, uh, and even after the end of the first round, like when you start to, okay, who's available, who's left, who's going to go early in the second round, and Stankoven's name was there, and there were a lot of people in Vancouver mm-hmm. that were like, you know, yeah, you know, a Kamloops <laughs> kid and a Kamloops blazer, and just makes sense. The, you know, Vancouver Canucks over the years haven't done terrific uh, in the draft with players out of BC based Western Hockey League teams. Yeah. Uh, and so he was sitting there. They elected to go for Klimovich. They they watched him at the UA teams down in Texas, yeah. and he scored a bunch of goals and, yeah. and whatever. That, that That's fine. But from that moment, as Stankoven was there, it was like, all right, where's he going to go? And obviously the ties with the Dallas and Tom yeah, Lardy, I mean, that one made perfect sense. But now moving forward, I think it's really going to be interesting to, to sort of watch the development. Klobovich played in Abbotsford this year. So he's playing pro as yes. a, you know an 18-year-old in his draft plus one year. Uh, you know, if he'd gone to the Quebec League, pretty good chance that uh, he would have put up some, some oh, gaudy yeah. numbers. So right now, it's, it's kind of apples and oranges because as a teenager playing against pros in the American Hockey League, Klamovich didn't have a huge role. He didn't uh, do an awful lot yeah. offensively. Yeah. But he's still a talented player where Stankoven obviously is such a key and had a great regular season. What was it 45 goals in the regular season? Yeah. And then, you know, for a short while there, looked unstoppable. He slowed down a little bit towards the end, uh, the last couple of games of the uh, of the series against Seattle. But, uh, you know, just the, you know, love the, the hustle, the drive, the determination. Um, and yeah, I have no doubt that, uh, you know, he's going to make it in the National Hockey League someday. And so these next bunch of years, I think a lot of people in Vancouver will be watching closely to see, you yeah. know, that they traded away that first rounder. Arizona takes Dylan Gunther. So now you've got two Western Hockey Leaguers. <laughs> yeah. You can play the could have, could have, should have yeah. game all the time. But I think oh, those, yeah. are, those are two guys that, you know, it'll be interesting to monitor just because the potential was there that they could have uh, yeah. in a parallel universe in <laughs> Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, Stank, I remember that actually, that Stankoven was was talked about as being a guy that the Canucks could have picked. And now that I mean, I love I love Klimovich's game. And um I'm hoping that he does become, you know, what he's supposed to be. And his, his skill levels off the charts, but yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see. And we hopefully we don't have another Kachuk Yulevi uh, thing going on again <laughs> because that wasn't hasn't been fun. So I'm talking, you know, staying on the Pamela's Blazers and Canucks. Um, Victor Persson, who who had a relatively good season in Kamloops, uh, but his development, I mean, he's a seventh round pick. So I mean, there's not a lot you can really expect, um, but he's looked pretty good uh, coming over first year. Uh, from overseas um, what do you think of his game in Kamloops and what do you think his development path will be um, coming into potentially the AHL next year yeah I, I, I think it's important for people to recognize that and as you point out he was a seventh round pick like that is yeah. that's a long shot at the best of times so you know it's important context to remember because if really if you look at the Vancouver Canucks since the year 2000 I, Adam Gaudet was a fifth round pick. Uh, I think Ben Hunt was a fifth round pick. You know, few and far between are guys that have gone deep in the draft that have made right. it to the National Hockey League. So, mm-hmm. like, we know more than ever before about prospects. More is written, more is talked about, yeah. YouTube clips, whatever. 
they're still long shots. Yeah. And yeah. even though Victor Perishin came over and played in the Western Hockey League and they're able to monitor him and, and, and you know, grade him against other Western Hockey Leaguers, I, I still put him in the long shot category. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hope for his sake that the development continues and that he proves me wrong. Uh, if ever there's an area of need in this organization, it's on the right side of their defense. Yes. And so, yep. you know, maybe the path is a little bit clearer there for, for a guy like that. Uh, but, you know, from all accounts, he was okay on a very good team, but mm-hmm. I don't know that there's anybody, you know, in the evaluation business that would go a whole lot further than, yeah, he, he, you know, he was okay. But, you know, as an overager, um, mm. you know, you, you yeah. I think you want to see a little bit more by this point, but that's why I always tell, like, you know, I, like I, I go back, Yannick Hansen was a ninth round pick when there were still ninth <laughs> rounders. Like there's a guy that, you know, overcame the odds was the yeah. ultimate long shot. He made it and had a, a good yeah. career, but you have to remember when guys are taken in the seventh round, like a lot of players have gone yeah. ahead of them. And so um, yeah. I, I just, you know, do I think he's going to play for the Vancouver Canucks someday right now? I, I think uh, he's in the show me kind yeah. of you know, phase. Like he, I, I'm not writing him off, but I still think he's got a lot to prove uh, and has to bring his game a, a long way before he's going to get a sniff yeah. in the national hockey league. Yeah. And unfortunately the Canucks have a lot of those types of prospects right now. It's the, it's the, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Right. And uh, that's, they, that's what they need to be starting to, and it's great. The scouting department's kind of getting beefed up and um, we'll see if there's going to be some improvement there in the future with the new uh, front office right now too. Yeah. And I think, you know, people, and I know this is more of a Western hockey league podcast, yeah. but if people know the names like, you know, Hugo Gabrielson or Lucas Forsell, yeah. like, you know, those guys, like they may have taken strides in their respective leagues, and that's great. You want that in your prospects. Mm-hmm. But again, these guys were taken deep in yeah. the draft. Like they, are, <laughs> they are long shots. Like they are not knocking down the door here to play in the National Hockey League in the next year or two. And so, yeah. um, you know, that that's, and you've seen now that the Vancouver Canucks have beefed up their development system Uh, i think they recognize that that's been an area of concern and weakness and whether it's their own draft picks whether it's some free agents they're able to bring in here you know it's one thing to get them to the american hockey league level and that seems to be where there's been a real disconnect in in recent years so uh, i applaud the moves of this week to sort of augment the development staff because uh, you know you need to identify the prospects you got to get them into the system yeah and then from there like that's when the to me that's when the real work yes. begins so yeah. let's see what uh, happens here over the next uh, bunch of years yeah the draft is step one <laughs> so many guys that yep. you know they get drafted and then we were talking before we started recording and um you know they get drafted it depends on the team they go to um the coaching staff the players they play with i mean development's is the biggest part is once you get drafted is when the, yeah, like you say, the run real work begins. Yeah, absolutely. Let's stay on the topic for draft targets for a second. Do you, who do you think the Canucks like should target specifically? I mean, I mean, it's hard to say obviously, but there's some, you know, valuable names available like Kevin Korczynski and Denton Matejchuk out of the WHL, for example. Um, and then if they want to go the forward route, of course there's, Jonathan LaCaramacchi and a couple other guys available. Um, what have you, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I'll preface it by saying I am no prospects whisperer at all. I mean, I, I read <laughs> yeah. as much as I can. 
Uh, yep. I don't watch a lot of video of, I just, I, first of all, I find the grainy video, like I applaud the people that put in the hours and the effort and the work, but then mm -hmm. I see these clips and I'm like, it usually takes five viewings for me to even identify which player I'm supposed to be looking at. So, <laughs> yep. uh, you know, I've got people that I trust and talk to and respect and all that kind of stuff. And, and yep. again, it's sort of an industry in and of itself right now. Mm -hmm. uh, I will say this though, uh, you know, the, the, I, I'm the best player available. Like I, you know, I, I, there's a part of me that thinks that it might be in the Canucks best interest to trade down this year. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if they can accumulate another asset and maybe another pick and, and add more prospects to the system because they do need yeah. those right now. So, you know, rather than zeroing in on one guy, uh, but I will say, and again, maybe it's my Western hockey league roots. Uh, Korchinski is a guy that, yeah. you know, I, I have kind of followed this season. Uh, I like a lot of his game, uh, that yeah. said, I, I'd like it that much more if uh, he could flip hands and be a right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah little, for sure. Probably a little late in his a little late in his development for that. So a little bit, um, maybe. You know, I, I'm of the mind of best player available, but fully recognizing that uh, the Vancouver Canucks need help on the back end, uh, both at the NHL level but lower levels as mm. well. So I think if all things are equal, uh, you get to the 15th pick if they hold on to it. Yeah, you know, will I will not be shocked if they use it on a defenseman. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, defense. I mean, the thing is, like I've said, I've said on multiple times of articles and stuff like that that the Canucks need everything. Really, I mean, they, yeah, they sure. you know, like and you said, adding, <laughs> adding yeah. as many prospects as you can, <laughs> right, to, and see if they that hits. And trading down, you can maybe get an extra pick um in there and there are some some interesting names in the 20s 20 you know that range too so yeah we'll see what happens what they decide to do with that as all i say is don't trade it away for something else <laughs> like they've done the last two drafts right and, and after yeah. doing it two years in a row i don't i just don't think you can i i I, no. I have to imagine this management group was hired and brought in recognizing that change was necessary uh, their hands are tied because of those trades that you mentioned. The JT Miller trades worked out. Uh, I still don't like what they did uh, with yeah. Arizona, and and yeah, uh, you know they're going to be paying the price for a little while. And we talked about Dylan Gunther. Uh, you know he'd easily easily be the the best prospect that they've got in the system. I mean, as it stands right now, Klamovich probably is, and he went around after yeah. uh, Dylan Gunther. <laughs> so I, I think they use the pick whether. They trade down. I wouldn't have an issue if they traded down a handful of spots, but I yeah. don't see them trading out of the first round whatsoever. They, they, I mean, that's where you find elite talent. And, yeah. you know, the interesting thing about 15 is by the time you get to 15 in any draft, there's a pretty good chance a couple of teams ahead of you have gone off the board yeah. and yeah. taken a bit of a flyer and maybe reached for, maybe they're drafting by position at stage, whatever. There's usually a couple of guys that we're all asking like, why is he still around? You know, why is he fallen? But yeah. at 15, I think if somebody falls to you at 15, you're all right with that, right? Like yeah. if, if you're picking in the top five and somebody's falling, you're probably seeing red flags there and wondering, you know, what are the other teams ahead of you yeah. seeing that, that maybe you're not, but, but by 15, I think if there's a player or two that uh, is still there, you know, then you swoop in and, and you grab them if, if he's a player that, you know, you've got on your list at that point. So yeah. uh, it's an interesting position because I do think, trading down is a possibility but i also think that you know there's a pretty good chance that a couple of teams go off the board and there may be a player there that the connects right now uh, aren't anticipating is going to be available to them yeah 100 um let's so let's talk a little bit about 
your time with the Canucks. I know we're a WHL podcast, but let's talk about the 2010 Stanley Cup run. And you got to cover that. And uh, what was that like for you as a hometown guy? Yeah, it was incredible. Uh, born and raised in North Vancouver and, and really outside of the six years that I spent in Kamloops, uh, I have lived in the lower mainland. So, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough as a 12 year old to be in the building in 1982 when the Stanley wow. Cup was prevent, presented, uh, you know, talk about mismatches. Uh, the Canucks didn't stand a chance against that dynastic Islander team. But as a young kid, uh, what an incredible you know moment just to be in the building to watch the the stars on that Isles team, and, and then ultimately to see the Stanley Cup presented in '94. I was in Kamloops uh, and had just oh, yeah. started out because I moved there in '93. So you know, still, I mean, a Canuck fan and and massive interest in that playoff run, and in fact. When it got to game seven in 1994, I came home for the day, essentially, uh, because I thought if the Canucks are going to win the Stanley Cup, I need to be in the city. The game was at Madison yeah. Square, but I just, you know, I wanted to be with my, my friends. And so we went yep. out and watched it all. And we know how that one worked out. So in 2011, <laughs> to be, you know, my role was a Canuck reporter. I was in the dressing room on a daily basis. I was part of the post-game coverage. And there was such interest in the Vancouver market mm-hmm. that... And it had started a couple of years before because in you know 2009 they faced the Blackhawks. Obviously, 2010 faced the Blackhawks again. But by mm-hmm. 2010, you could see that this team was putting the pieces together. And so I think it was in 20, 2009 we started playoff game night, which was a show after the post game show on the radio. So post game show would cover off everything that had happened, and then I would come in, start at midnight, and keep <laughs> talking and. <laughs> it was incredible that the audience, you know, shift workers and yep. students that were yeah. supposed to be studying for exams <laughs> and, and they were staying up late and taxi drivers and insomniacs and people that just couldn't get enough. Uh, the phone lines were loaded. Like, and, and our sort of line on that show was, you know, we'll keep talking until you don't want us to talk. And so as long as there were people on the phone boards that wanted to talk to us, we just kept going and, you know, two thirty, three o'clock in the morning. Um, it was awesome. I loved it. Like I, I that's you know, awesome. I, I, I couldn't get enough, and the city kind of felt that way. And so you can imagine as they went through the rounds in 2011, we did this after yeah. each and every game to the point that when they lost Game Seven on June 15th, huh. we went through the night. I started my post-game show playoff game night at 11:30 or at midnight, and we took calls right through until six o'clock in the morning at which point wow. i just handed uh, handed it off to the morning show that uh, <laughs> scott rintoul and ray ferraro were the morning guys at that point they rolled in uh i remember them walking into the building and they looked surprised to see me there sitting in the chair in person <laughs> as they were driving in listening they figured oh this is tape programming uh you know this just sort of from <laughs> earlier in the night but yeah no, we were no nope. I've through the night, the calls were there. The first couple hours, people were freaking out because the city was on fire and the riots. And, <laughs> yeah, and once, yeah. Once it was established that the authorities had everything under control, then the phone calls were like, I can't believe they lost on home ice. And, you know, <laughs> then it turned to hockey again. And um, and we just broke down the, the game and the series and, and everything else. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I put that right up there along with the, the Olympics in Vancouver yep. in 2010 yeah. as... You know, as a hockey guy, obviously covering the Stanley Cup was incredible, but mm-hmm. to have an Olympics mm-hmm. in your home city, uh, that's kind of next level stuff. Yeah. So, you know, those two and the Memorial Cup, like when I think yeah. I, I've been fortunate enough to cover some great events, 
Uh, but certainly those are three of the very highest highlights uh, of my career. And I hope that there's another act left that uh, this team, because yes. you know, I, I, I'm not a fan anymore. Like I, I just been at this too long. The, the fandom has kind of been squeezed out of me a little bit, but born in Vancouver, I want the Vancouver Canucks to win a Stanley yeah. Cup for the city, for the fan base. Uh, yep. I want to be able to cover it. I want to feel what we felt in 2011 you know, just in the social media age now where it is nonstop, mm. just 24 yeah. seven to be in the front on the front line and in the middle of that and driving some of those conversations. Uh, it's incredible. It's, you, yeah. know, you can't ask for a whole lot more. So the fact that they haven't played a home playoff game at Rogers <laughs> arena since the spring of 2015 is like, it's mind boggling. Yeah. My head hurts just saying that. <laughs> and this fan base deserves so much more and so much yeah. better. So, you know, there are some pieces here in place, but there's also a fair bit of ground still to cover and you just hope that this management group uh, you know they were again brought in for a reason yeah and hopefully uh, the experience and the championship pedigree can can get this thing moving in the right direction yeah I, I hopefully because the, yeah the fan base definitely deserves uh, another run that's for sure and at least another run so <laughs> we'll see that what happens there um just to close off uh, the show do you have any advice for anyone getting trying to get into hockey, sports media? Um, yeah, any advice that you have for them? Well, I'd say do what you guys are doing. Uh, start a podcast. If you're not already, you're falling behind because everybody else is <laughs> yeah. yeah. podcast. Yeah. Uh, I, I just think, you know, I, I left broadcast school and had to move away to, to Kamloops to get a job, and it was just radio. And mm -hmm. it was such a simple time then. Like, uh, not to sound like a dinosaur, but that was pre-internet. <laughs> The internet, honestly, the internet sort of became a thing. Uh, my first email address I got when I was in Kamloops. So that's how far wow. we're going back. But, you know, when I think now, like, uh, you know, I went to broadcast school. And when I see people that you don't need broadcast school, you don't need mm -hmm. formal training, people are using uh, the opportunities that are available to them with blogs and podcasts and content creation and, you know, get recognized and, and build an audience and, and kind of take it from there. Yeah. And there are like, I would have, I think back now, I mean, things worked out okay, but like as a young person, like I would have loved to have had a blog and be able to write and sort of get my thoughts about the Canucks out there. That kind of stuff yep. didn't exist. So, um, you know, I, I'm a huge believer that good content will always find yeah. an audience. And mm -hmm. so, you know, work on the content, hone your craft, make your mistakes early on. Like, yep. honestly, we've all made mistakes. Uh, if people are afraid of making mistakes, don't be like, yeah. it's going to happen. Uh, learn from your mistakes, but keep pumping out good content. And eventually, you know, with social media and supporting your content mm -hmm. with social, like it falls into the lap of the right person who can retweet it, somebody with a massive following. And before you know it, yeah. you know, you're gaining a, a way bigger audience. But I am a big believer that there is such a, a hunger in this market for uh, solid, creative Canuck content. And the other thing mm -hmm. I say to people all the time is, uh, you know, tell me things I don't know. Don't just regurgitate what's already out there. That doesn't accomplish yeah. anything. So use your own mind, your own voice, and you know, just like try to find angles and story yeah. angles and lines and things that haven't been done. And again, that'll help you because there's this craving for content. If I see something, a headline, I kind of think I've probably already read that story, you know, mm -hmm. but if there's something new and fresh, uh, like I'm going to click on it. And if I see it, maybe I give it a retweet and yeah. you know, then it gets a whole bunch more. So uh, tell me things I don't know. Don't yeah. tell me things I already know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Try to be novel in your thought process and, and be creative that way. 
and don't be afraid to make mistakes. We've all done it. And, uh, you know, just, the, and the other thing quickly is that, you know, like maybe you won't, maybe it won't turn into full-time work for you right away. Yeah. But mm-hmm. if you're a teenager or in your early twenties and you've got a, a job to support yourself, but you're still writing about them. Like that, I didn't get to write about the Vancouver Canucks when I was, you know, 20 years old. Like that opportunity didn't exist. So yeah. don't be discouraged. Be encouraged by the fact that with the blog and the podcast and everything else, like you're getting a chance to be part of this broader conversation that's going on around yeah. this hockey club that so many people care about. So uh, follow your dreams. There are opportunities out there. Reach out to people that you mm-hmm. admire and aspire mm-hmm. to be. Uh, you know, and we didn't even get into the whole Jason Botcher and the Botcher project, but you know, people yeah. in my position, like you'd be surprised how people are help, willing to help out and, and give advice and critique and read over things and those types of things. And that's what the, you know, the Botcher project is so important to me yeah. uh, for those reasons to help the next wave. Yeah. And so thanks. Thanks, Jeff, for coming on the show. I uh, very, really appreciate it. Uh, lots of great stuff to be saying. I mean, that, that's and you came in on BCIT. I remember when you came in uh, to our class. So uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. Awesome piece of advice. Yeah, thank you so much, Jeff. Enjoy your weekend. Well, everyone, that was Jeff Patterson. We hope you enjoyed that interview. He was a great guy to talk to. Uh, thank you guys so much for taking time out of your day to listen to this show. I am your host, Colton Davies, and alongside me is my co-host, Matthew Zader. Today, we're going to be talking about the WHL Awards, the WHL Championship that is currently ongoing. Uh, they will begin Game 3 tonight, so we're just recording prior to that. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the uh, NHL Draft Combine, as well as a new segment uh, that we are bringing you guys. Uh, so we're going to jump right into it. The WHL Awards were revealed last week. Um I'll start things off a little bit. We'll kind of go back and forth here, talk a little bit about, about a few of them. Um, so no surprise, uh, the Bobby Clark Trophy was awarded to Red Deer Rebels forward Arshdi Baines, who led the WHL with 112 points. Um, I mean, no surprise there. Um, in Canucks land, people are excited. I mean, that. I mean, you can't go wrong with somebody who is the leading scorer. Um, but obviously, as we've talked about before, he is an overager, but, you know, the offensive ability that's in his game that, you know, other people have talked about him, you know, it goes a long way. And I think he's somebody who could be a, a dependable forward next year in Abbotsford. Well, I mean, that's, that's probably where he's going to play most of the year. Um, but yeah. you never know. I mean, injuries happen he's playing really well. He'll probably get a call up. Um, but I'm excited to see what he can do in the AHL because, um, you know, it's a, you know, a higher league. We'll see if he, if he can, can make a difference down there. And, uh, I think he can, I think he's got, he's got some skills that can translate to higher levels. And, um, I still really want the Canucks to draft Ben King. So I I'm hoping, I'm hoping that they, you know, that, uh, but the thing is it's out of their hands, really. I mean, if they do have, if he is on their list, I mean, I just have a feeling he's going to be drafted in something like in the third round or something. Just, I mean, <laughs> like taken off the board. Like, yeah, I, I, I think that could be it too. Like he could be somebody that goes in like the second or third round. 
Um, I know other people have said that they believe his offensive ability is a lot higher than Baines. So yeah. I don't know how biased of an opinion that is in the scouting world, but I mean, it's something to look at obviously. And, you know, Baines obviously is a hometown guy too. So there's a lot to that. The Abbotsford Canucks can work with and the Vancouver Canucks can work with and market him. Um, it, it's exciting. I'm excited to see what he can do. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that he may not get any NHL time. I mean, like I say, you never know, but uh, he's going to be a pretty, uh, he's going to be a pretty good player to have down there. I mean, even yeah. just having him an option to call up because you always need those types of, you know, when injuries happen in the top six or top nine, you can call him up and he can be a, you know, potential offensive uh, producer. Right. So uh, yep. we'll see. Um, Countless Blazers forward Connor Levis has won the Daryl K. Seaman Memorial Trophy as the WHL's Scholastic Player of the Year. Uh, National Predators prospect Luke Prokop has won the Doug Wickenheiser Memorial Trophy as WHL Humanitarian of the Year. No surprise there. Um, Prokop, obviously, we've talked a little bit about him before. Um, he has done a lot for the hockey community uh, in terms of the LGBTQ and he's a he's a wonderful guy i mean if you've listened to any interviews um with him he's very well spoken um and somebody that you know he is kind of crazy because he was a second or third round pick i do believe maybe even later by nashville but he, he yeah. he's crazy like he's got this potential to round himself out into a top six top four defenseman and uh it'll be interesting to see because i've talked to a couple people who want the blazers to take a stab at him next season if he gets returned to Edmonton because he'll be a 20 year old. Um, the oil Kings don't really have a lot to work with, I guess, after this year, um, just through sources that I've talked to. And it's something that, yeah, could be a, I, I, an option obviously, but mm-hmm. I think from what I've also heard his, um, his plan is to uh, report to Milwaukee and go to the AHL. Um, but I mean, we'll see how that works, but, but great guy. Nonetheless, uh, somebody we would obviously love to chat with this summer. Um, and uh, just go through his career and everything that he's been able to able to do so far. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool to have. And, uh, you know, it's been pretty great to have all these guests on the show. And we're really uh, early on in our podcast. So uh, thanks to all our guests, for sure, for coming on the show, because um, yes, it's been amazing. Absolutely. And thank you to all the listeners as well. Um, it really does help when you guys share this stuff and, you know, comment on, twitter and let us know what we're doing or what we're doing wrong of course as people have let me know (laughs) um but nobody's actually knocked us they've just people have just uh been critical about me being biased towards blazers which is fair that's fine um another we'll keep moving on though uh winnipeg ice head coach james patrick is the whl coach of the year That, that was no surprise we called that when we did our whl awards predictions um dallas stars prospect logan stankoven is the 2021 uh, 2022 WHL most sportsmanlike player. Uh, Stan Coven is also the WHL player of the year, um, following a 45 goal, 104 point season with the Blazers. Uh, it, we've talked a lot about Stan Coven, um, but obviously this is a kid who, you know, uh, the the second round pick who gets doesn't get drafted in the first round because he's quote unquote undersized. I'm doing air quotes right now. Um, <laughs> and then goes off and just absolutely demolishes the WHL the next season. And that's the stuff you love to see. 
Yeah. Well, like he said, we've talked about Stan Coven many times. Not I've, I've talked about him, not just on this podcast on Prospect <laughs> corner as well. I mean, yep. his name's come up quite a few times <laughs> around. So, I mean, and for good reason, I mean, the, he's been, he's been absolutely amazing all year and uh, fully deserving of the player of the year award. And uh, you know, anything he's getting he's most sportsmanlike. And of course we had him on the, on the podcast too. And he's a great, great interview and a great guy. So um, congratulations to him. And I'm excited to see what he can do next year. Uh, the Memorial cups here. And then of course um, is start of his pro career, which is going to be fun to watch. I mean, that, Ooh, we've, we've talked about it before, so sorry to bore people, but that Dallas Stars team that they're building with Ugh. Wyatt Johnston, Maverick Borg, <laughs> um, Jake Ottinger's already starting to fill out. You got Miro Heiskin in. They're going to lose John Klingberg, unfortunately. It's, that's kind of the way it seems it's going. Um, Maverick Bork's another one, too. But, like, yeah, Maverick Bork <laughs> and Wyatt Johnston's absolutely destroying the OHL playoffs. It's remarkable what that team has been able to build, and um, they're only going to get better. My thought is, is the team too good that some of these stars like Bork, Stankoven, or Johnston, are they going to see diminished ice time at the mm. pro level? You know, all depend. I think it's going to depend on what happens with Ben and Sagan. Yes. Right. And that's exactly, I, mean, I think that too. That That's going to be a big thing because, you know, you got Jason Robertson there kind of taking over that leader, leader of the core, I think. I think he's the you know, he's going to be the center of the new core. Um, and then you got Stanko and Bork uh, and um, and Johnston, right? So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what they do because, I, you know, off the top of my head, I'm not sure how many years they still, Ben and Sagan still have in their contracts. A but uh, it's there. I, I don't think there's many years left. But, you know, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see um, where, when they do turn pro what the team looks like because um, Dallas is still kind of, they're still in kind of that playoff type mode because they made the playoffs this year. And uh, I don't know, like, we'll see what happens. I don't know what they feel like when the transition will be. Cause I think ideally you want the kind of transition in like retooling rather than rebuilding. You kind of move out. I, veterans and then at the same time they're playing too. So I don't know. I agree. Um, I yeah, so I, I I agree that I think that the retooling option is something that they need to visit, especially with Rick Bonus now out. Yeah. Um, you you is it time Jim Nell goes as well? Like that's the question. Like I think um so Frank Saravalli and Matt Larkin of Daily Faceoff, um they run the Daily Faceoff show every day. And the other morning, they were talking about uh, how Dallas will be the busiest team um, this offseason. So I wrote a little article about it for them for Daily Faceoff. Um, and just to quickly highlight it, just since we're on the Dallas Stars, we may as well go down this route for a second. Uh, we, we always do this type of stuff. So wouldn't be a Western-centric podcast without it. Um, but you look at, like, guys, you know, they they lose Rick Bonus, which is huge because – was he a problem? Like it's, it's un, it's hard to understand what's going on, but the stars have a lot of expiring contracts. And I think that's where issues are going to come because they, they want to sign Jason Robertson. Um, they did ink Dennis Gurianov today. So like, but you think about it, they, they got Radulov, they've got Klingberg, Sakara, Nemesnikov all on UFAs. And then for, you know, Jason Robertson is obviously going to need to be paid. 
I mean, he is elite. And I think like, you know, Matt made a good point that the Ryan Suter contract is really coming back to bite them already. That yeah. you can't pay a 37-year-old guy $3.65 million. It's just, it doesn't work. And unfortunately, it's not paying off for them either. And really, just to highlight this whole segment and move on, um, you're right about Ben and Sagan. They, they've become, you know, in in Matt's words, they've become albatrosses. They're in it for the people that don't know what that word is. They're they're essentially just anchoring the team. They're they're a, they're a problem. They're they're combined more than 19 million dollars, and they're just not producing. It, it's crazy. I think I definitely think it's time they they split from both of them. Yeah. Well, as I, I have a switch now, you got to start kind of transitioning to a new core, right? Because yeah. they're still kind of that old um, guard, right? And yep. Um, just so that we have kind of a so Sagan has four more years. Oh, five. Holy crap. Okay. He's got five more years Yikes. at 9.8 million. Jamie yeah, Ben has luck. three more at 9.5 million. So, yeah, you're right with an albatross state. <laughs> <laughs> Holy, so and they all both have, have no to, movement clauses too. So you so. have to find a team that's willing to eat the contract for that many years, go into them being 35, 36 and paying Sagan that amount of money is ludicrous. But if, but, but, but the thing is, is if Sagan can turn his game around and turn into like Joe Pavelski and put up 60 points and it's worth it. It, yeah. it, 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 it works out. Um, But that's the problem. And, Oh God, we're going to just piss people off here, but that's what the Canucks are doing with JT Miller. It's the big argument right now. Do they pay him a shit ton of money for the next seven to eight years and pray to God he's good when he's 35? I think you have to do it. Like it's hard. Like it's really hard. I don't know. We'll, uh, we'll move on. (laughs) We still got more WHL awards to talk about. Um, So, Braden Yeager was named the WHL Rookie of the Year. Um, very exciting hockey player. Um, his draft year obviously comes up next season. Um, what, I mean, what do you think of him? I mean, we've, ooh, like, a lot of people obviously have talked about next year's draft. We've talked about next year's draft a handful of times. But for that East Division with, you know, Connor Bedard and Braden Yeager um, and Zach Benson, it's exciting. Yeah, it definitely is. And, that, and that's, again, here's another guy that definitely worth uh you know deserving of the award because oh he, yeah i mean 34 goals right i mean that's really good so uh, yeah uh new york rangers prospect dylan grand's whl goaltender of the year following 34 wins for the camelot's blazers no surprise there grand did make a statement uh to camelot's this week uh this past week wow that's a weird sentence to say out loud but he made a statement to a reporter with camelot's this week that he uh will be going to the ahl next year um I got a little text message from somebody who said that uh, that's not his choice. So we'll see about that. Um, <laughs> it's it's hard though, because I know with like these 20 year olds, some of them do get choices and some of them just, it's not up to them at all. It's you get told what to do and you, you go do that. Example yeah. would be Fabian Lizell. <laughs> Lizell's not 20 for, but, but Fabian Lizell was told there's no way in hell you're reporting to Providence. You're going to play in Vancouver. And that's where he ended up. Yeah, which was a win for the Giants. I mean, he was oh, great. He was so good too. And the question uh, is, does he return next year? Right? Like, do they think he's good enough for Providence? That's the question. 
Yeah. That's the question. Um, Anaheim Ducks prospect and Everett Silvertips defenseman Olin Zellweger, who obviously set a franchise record with the Silvertips past year with 78 points, was named defenseman of the year. And that about wraps up your WHL awards. It took way too long because we went down a rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what always happens here. So it's okay though. That's okay. <laughs> um <laughs> so the WHL championship, I mean, I don't think it's going the way. I mean, a lot of people have not expected it to go. Um, I said that, that, you know, I think I said the Thunderbirds would get two games. I think I did give them two. Um, but, you know, your your point there for, you know, them winning in seven, holy cow, what if what, you might be onto something here? <laughs> because that, that they've just been, they were dominant that first game. And the second game, I mean, the oil kings were up four to two at one point with like two minutes, something, something left. And they, the Thunderbirds scored two big goals and the lead evaporated. And then, and then oil Kings scored and they won the game, but damn, like, <laughs> that's all I have to say. Like the, the Thunderbirds are really just out there just playing their heart out. Like Svishkovsky's got two, had two goals. Um, Matthew Rempe's playing big. Jared Davidson's coming up big. Kevin Korchinski's, trying to prove that he's the best defenseman in the draft. Yeah. Um, it's remarkable. I mean, I know we talked about this last week and I'm going to repeat this exact sentence, but the playoffs don't overly have an effect on your draft. I don't think. Do they? Um, I'm not could sure. be wrong about that. Yeah. Like, I don't know if scouts look at a playoff performance and go, okay, like this is good enough. Like this can translate. I, like, but- I, for me, I think, you know, I look at that being something that would, it's going to affect my rankings. Um, the final yeah, ones, because I mean, it's that- maybe unfair because some guys aren't getting that opportunity for the playoffs, but I just find the playoffs really showcase different abilities because yes. if you're able to step up in big games or elevate your play um, yeah. in, in the playoffs, I think that's a big part of of your game because if you don't if you can't um step up in pressure pack situations that's a problem um in my yep. mind at least i don't know how big of a problem it is for scouts but um no, for I would me agree. it is um i would 100 percent agree because the playoffs is when it becomes important every game counts and um you talk about guys who come up big in the playoffs like look at Tampa's and Toronto's series and you look at Nick Paul scoring two goals in game seven and he's a third line fourth line guy it's you know everything everything's matters when it comes to the playoffs and I think that's why um that's why like you know we're going to talk about a guy here who's having a really hot playoffs but I think it does take an effect into the draft stock because it's you you look at that player and you go okay well they can play under that pressure and they understand you know that this is a grueling like grind to to win a championship yeah um so you know kevin korchinski's obviously been great for seattle but then on the flip side you look at the um the oil kings and you know luke prokop who uh we'll talk a little bit about and i again obviously but you know he had two goals and two assists um he's been unreal like that's, yeah. that's, he, he was on, he was unstoppable last game. And then Carter Such, he's a guy who's just been dominating all 
playoffs. He's got 11 goals. He's had, he had a goal in game one and a goal in game two. Um, this is a guy who's 20 years old. He's undrafted. Somebody that, you know, you, you never know. You could pick up a, an AHL contract after this. He had 71 points this year, 19 points in 15 games so far. Uh, he's arguably been one of the Oil Kings' top players. Yeah, on a team with with guys like, uh, you know, Genther. So, I mean, that's pretty yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly it. Like, he's just coming up really, really big. And he brings that, you know, he brings that, when you watch him, he he's gritty, he's physical, but he brings that high-end, um, like, ability to to be flashy. And he can get the puck up and score goals and, he comes up big in these clutch moments that like we're just talking about when, when it matters. Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing. I think that's something, you know, people will look at because, well, he's producing and he's coming up big in, in those key moments. So, yeah. uh, you know, that that's definitely getting him on the map for, for teams for sure. Yep. Another guy who could definitely be a late round selection. Um, so it's been a great series so far. Obviously, as I said at the top of the show, uh, game three is tonight um, at seven o'clock. Uh, it's actually in Edmonton because they played the first three games in Edmonton. I don't exactly know what the whole deal with that was, um, but they go off to Seattle on Friday. Uh, it, yeah, it's been it's been a great series. Uh, tonight, I think, is the decider, though. You know, game threes are obviously it's been talked about, obviously, forever that game threes are very big. Um, especially when it's a one, one series, but I think that this could be the tilt here. Mm -hmm. I think if, if Edmonton wins, I think that they can finish it off in five or six. If Seattle wins, I think if Seattle wins, I think it's going to seven and Seattle's going to win it. That's my kind of hot take from this game. <laughs> so we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Get, this is going to be a key one. Um, I think it will be. I think game five is always the biggest one, but three, if you look back, I think game three is also a big one too. So game fives yeah. are huge. You're right. Yeah. For sure. Um, and yeah, just like uh, can, if Seattle wins this, they'll, you know, they'll pull a Kootenai ice 2011 Kootenai, uh in 2011 became one of the, they were the last four seed team to win the WHL championship. So if Seattle can do this, they'll be the first, uh, first four seed team to win. So that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, that that'd be pretty cool too. Yeah. <laughs> uh WHL player and goalie of the week awards. How about you tell us a little bit about that, Matthew? Well, player of the week, we already mentioned this guy. Nice. <laughs> Luke Prokop. I wow. got well, WHL player of the week, five points in this week, including a four point, I think four points in game two of yeah. the, the championship series. So uh yeah, he again, we've talked about him and the predators are are probably pretty happy uh, with how he's doing. And I like, we talked about him. He may go to Milwaukee. I, th I think he probably will. I think um, he will too. You know, especially with how he's played in the playoffs, they're going to want to see what he can do at the next level. And yeah. uh, I'm excited to see what he can do because uh, he's been really good um, so far. And that again, deserving of that player of the week award. And then the goalie of the week, uh, we've talked about him on this podcast before too, is Thomas Millich. Um, and I really believe this guy's getting drafted this year. I mean, I, if he doesn't, I mean, what the heck are our teams looking at now? I mean, like, what is this? Like, what? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't like, understand. There's no reason not to. He, 
like, yeah, no reason not to take a chance on him at all. I mean, he's a guy who's just put Seattle on his back and he's been, he's been remarkable. Yeah. I think he's, he's definitely worth a late round pick. And I, I, if, if I'm taking a prediction right now, we'll see if I'm right. I think he's getting drafted in the fourth round. Um, I you don't think he's going sixth or seventh. I think it's, I'd say, you know, the, at the very least fourth. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes earlier than that, but because there's other goaltenders in there that are higher stock than him, I guess, in like, you know, ability. But um, I think he's going fourth round for sure, at least at the very least. And because of what he's done, I mean, it, come on, like what else can he, ha- does he have to do to impress? <laughs> You're right. He's, he's, he's doing it all. I mean, for him to get passed over again would just be a mistake. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I, especially with like the, the, the amount of goalies that like, wait, I don't know how to, how do I word this? There's not as many goalies available in the draft this year. So I think that, you know, scouts are definitely, um, you know, looking off the board a little bit and yeah. looking at other guys who are available. Um, it's going to be interesting because, just a, what he's been able to do this season alone, I think it says a lot about what his future entails. Yeah. And that, and I, I don't know, personally, I think he was good enough last year to be drafted, but yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I remember writing the article for the profile forum for the hockey writers last year. And I'm pretty sure I, yeah, I said he would be drafted, but no. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's weird. Goalies are weird. We talk about goalies all the time, but, and we'll see what happens with him. Um, it, what's crazy is somebody like Tampa is going to end up getting him. No, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> and that's what, that's just what I can see. And then he'll turn, he'll blossom into just some superstar. And it's just, yeah. <laughs> um, we're going to jump into a new segment. Uh, this is called the bus ride. This is going to be a weekly segment where we dive into one WHL alumni's career uh, every week. And this week, we're starting it off with Chris Phillips. Um, random. It's going to be a random player every time. Some of these players will have NHL experience. Some of them will just play overseas, never played in the NHL at all. Um, we're just going to dive into these certain players and just kind of go through their careers and talk about what they've been able to do. Um, so Chris Phillips, who for those of you who don't know, which would be remarkable if you don't know who this <laughs> man is, he is one of the most underrated defensemen to ever play the game. Now, that's actually that's pretty pretty loaded statement but he's very underrated and he was a long long time ottawa senator um he actually holds the record for most games played with the senators with 1179 so let's talk a little bit about this guy he was a he was a complete defenseman i mean he was a big guy 6'3 220 um and he was drafted by the Prince Albert Raiders in the 1993 WHL Bantam draft. So that's a hot minute ago. <laughs> um, if you look at that draft, kind of funny, there's about a dozen, half a dozen, maybe eight or nine guys who have NHL experience out of that draft. And Chris Phillips, obviously he played, I think it was 18 or 19 seasons in the NHL. Um, the second highest on that list had four. So the 1993 WHL draft was not, not a good one. Um, but, I mean, you look at what he was able to do in his first year with Prince Albert, and that was 95-96, um, the year I was born. 
so he goes up and puts 40 points in his first year. Pretty good. Yeah. Um, and then? Then you got, yeah, he doesn't, I mean, that was his best season. Which too. is weird, hey? Which is weird because that wasn't the year, it was the year he was drafted, yeah. um, which of course. And he was drafted, this is a, a surprise to me. He was drafted first overall. Um, mm-hmm. First overall in 1996. And um, after that draft year, kind of fell off. I mean, he had it may have had injury problems uh, because he only played 32 games in 96-97. Uh, actually, this is split between two teams. So he played 60. Never mind. He wasn't in, He probably wasn't injured then. I, for, I didn't look at the years. So he was split between the Prince Albert Raiders and the Lethbridge Hurricanes. Um, and between them scored seven goals. And if I can do the math here, seven goals and 40 assists. So that would be 47 points. So, I mean, he did have a good season the next year. Right. So but that's what's weird, though, is like he he goes. Yeah. And like you look at that 96 NHL draft and I'm pretty sure Andre Zuzan and a couple other guys were taken up kind of high. The 96 draft was a weird one, too. Yeah. I mean, you you kind of look at it. Yeah, J.P. Dumont. Yeah, I remember um, him. Danny Briere. Danny Briere was probably the best of this draft. Um, just yeah. looking at the names. Yeah, Danny Briere was, well, we know what he did. 696 points in the NHL, and he was a 24th overall pick. So if you redid that draft, you, that guy, you know, Briere's definitely first overall. But, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, but Phillips, I mean, that's interesting. I mean, he wasn't really an offensive defenseman in the NHL. He kind of had 200. He only had 288 points. But he was known more of that, like, really solid two-way guy, uh, leadership, uh, you know, stuff like that. So, um, you know, I mean, he, he played in the, the WHL. He had basically two seasons um, with the Prince Albert Raiders and Lethbridge Hurricanes and uh, had a pretty good playoffs with the Hurricanes, 20, 25 wow. points in 19 games. So, I mean, mm-hmm. that's pretty good, right? So, I mean, and he also played uh, in the – world juniors in 96 yep. and 97 so yep. yeah pretty accomplished and then again you know played his whole career in ottawa so and you look at if you take a little peek at that lethbridge hurricanes team that went to a memorial cup um you, you'll look you'll notice a guy who led the team in points byron ritchie former <laughs> nhler once a one-time vancouver canuck um i remember him because he had spiked up bleach blonde hair that's what i remember and and just for you know for facts sake uh byron richie's son Ryder was recently drafted in the 2021 whl bantam draft oh. or 2022 whl bantam draft one of the two he was recently drafted by prince albert um so uh, let me just check 2021 yeah he was drafted uh 14th overall by the prince albert raiders so kind of cool um and also on that lethbridge team was bryce salvador just for the record yeah. And then a guy, Kirby Law, which I don't know why I remember this guy. Um, well, Kirby Law, he brought the law. I mean, that man racked up a lot of penalty minutes in, I think, Philadelphia and a couple other places that he stopped off in. Yes. Um, and then he also played with the Houston Arrows and had 110 points one year. I think that's why I remember him. It's absolutely um, ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> in 05, 06, too. That's remarkable. Yeah. Wow. But, uh, yeah. Um, but you look at like, you look at um, 
at what Chris Phillips has been able to do as well. And like, you know, that championship run that they went on the Stanley cup run, um, which was 07, 06, 07 to be exact. I mean, that was crazy. Obviously the Ottawa senators ended up coming up against a team that, well, the that Anaheim ducks team just steamrolled them in yeah. five games, which was fine because that ducks team was kind of predicted to do that. But, but you know, what's kind of crazy about that 06, 07 year Phillips had a plus 36. Yeah. Now he was pretty good. He was one of the top defenders, top players across the entire NHL in terms of plus minus. He did score some goals too. I mean, looking at his goal totals here, I mean, his career high was eight and he had that twice. Yeah. Um, you know, he had, he only had a few seasons where it was, you know, really low. So, I mean, he was a consistent around 20 plus point defenseman, which is not bad. I mean, you know, some defensemen can't do anything offensively. And I mean, that's okay. He's not like prolific, but <laughs> no, exactly. He he had a solid career, and then of course in the in 2019, the Ottawa Senators um, retired his number, his number four. So yeah. rightfully so, obviously he um, holds the all time game record. And if you look at it, um, the only guy that's on the current active list who because there's nobody in the uh, games played margin that is coming close to him. That's that's actively playing Daniel Alverson, Chris Neal, Wade Redden are all retired. Spedza maybe. I mean, like, well, no, I don't mean that at all. I don't mean maybe there's no way in, in hell Spedza passes his games played, but if Spedza had stayed with the senators, he would have ultimately been the highest games played for, for them. Um, but Thomas Shabbat has 360 or 300 something games played. So he's got a ways to go. Yeah. <laughs> He was also a very physical defenseman too. Like that's, that was a big yep. part of his game and blocked shots, all that stuff. And um, just looking at, you know, he was actually had some votes for the Norris in two of the years, uh, 2006, 2007 and 20, 2009, 2010, uh, 18th in voting. So rightfully so. Um, was, yeah. He had, what am I looking here? I'm just looking at uh, hockey reference here and just um, well, how many votes he actually had. Uh, he had one second place vote and eight and uh, seven total votes. So yeah. I mean, it's not a lot, but some people thought he was, he was good enough to get some votes that year. Nick Lidstrom won the Norris. So that <laughs> Ooh, that's a hard guy to beat. Jeez. And Scott Niedermeyer, Chris Pronger. Who? <laughs> <laughs> No, you know, just a, just a few Hall of Famers, a couple, couple of legends, that's all. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. I mean, but yeah, you look at that and like, obviously, um, you know, Phillips, those guys were in a different, different, you know, category. But Chris Phillips, I mean, still arguably a very underrated defenseman for what he was able to accomplish throughout his career for Ottawa. And um, I don't think, when did Ottawa go on that last crazy run with Hammond when they had Andrew Hammond? Do you remember? Was that 2016, 17? Was that the year after Phillips retired? I believe so. Oh, that's sad then. Yeah, okay. Because <laughs> I was curious about that. Because like I was just like, I know he went on the one big run in 06, 07, um, and then nothing ever, nothing since then. Ottawa never figured themselves out. But I was curious if he had one more chance at a cup at all. But like that's a guy that's clearly devoted to the game too and oh, devoted yeah. to the team. I mean, stays his entire career there. So, um, but yeah, congratulations to Chris Phillips, obviously on that career. And I mean, 
uh, that wraps up our first uh, bus ride segment. Yeah, that was fun. That's going to be fun to look back at some of these guys. You get, I mean, just fair warning to our listeners here. We may go down rabbit holes when we do these. So, <laughs> Oh, yes, absolutely. Especially with some of these guys. We definitely will be. All right. Now we're going to talk about the NHL draft combine because that wrapped up. Um, I had a few colleagues go there. Um, you, of course, at the Hockey Raiders had a few colleagues go and attend uh, before we hit record on this segment. Um, we were talking a little bit about Mark and how, you know, Mark Sheeg does a lot for, uh, the hockey writers and, you know, shout out to him, uh, because he went and got all the heights and weights and just, he, he put together a really big pamphlet for everybody and, uh, really helped out a lot of people in the hockey media world. Um, so hats off to him. He is a rock star. Yeah. Uh, so we're gonna talk a little bit about some WHL guys. Um, I, I've got a couple notes. Matthew's got some notes. Um, but Owen Pickering, I mean, he seemed to really impress a lot of people from just from not only the physical um, aspect of it, but even through the interviews, uh, it seems like a very smart kid. Um, he finished first in the aerobic fitness category. Uh, he absolutely dominated that category, actually. And then he also tied for 11th in the uh, um, the VO2 max category, which is basically what they measure your cardio cardiovascular muscles and uh, it's a fitness test, essentially. Um, so to not bore you, he is a beast. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Pickering, I think he definitely raised his stock through this. Um, you know, yeah, I think he's he's ranked to go. It depends on the ranking you look at, but I believe he's ranked to go early second round, late first. Well, um, so I don't want to cut you off, but Matthew, let's let's look at this. Bob McKenzie has him ranked 36th. Yeah. His partner, Craig Button, has him ranked 13th. See, there's the range right there. <laughs> what would you say if Pickering was picked by the Canucks? Like, what if the Canucks pick him over Matejchuk? Like, oh, oh, oh. Is that, like, what, what happens? Yikes. I, like, I don't know. Hypothetical. I, and I don't think I don't, the Canucks do it because I don't think they target, they don't target the height, size, We've learned through Tyler Myers that that's not the way to go. Um, <laughs> but you been think about it, right? If this is a kid who's just boosted his stock a lot, I mean, Dauber Prospects has him at 16. Recruit Scouting has him at 21. Sportsnet just ranked him at 15th from Sam Costantino. I mean, he's high up there now. Yeah, I, I think, you know what? I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be against the Canucks picking Pickering there um, at 15. I mean, it's not like it's crazy off the board. And I, I really think Matejchuk may go a bit uh, more um, sooner than that. I think so, so too. So I don't know. Pickering may be their guy. Uh, and Korchinski's definitely going ahead of 50. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, Pickering's going to be in there. Mintukov could be in around that area. But now that Pickering's um, shown that fitness, I mean, I don't know. I, I'd probably go towards him at this point. He's got that offensive that... upside, too. Well, that's exactly it. He's got this offensive upside that's kind of popping out here. Um, fun fact, did you know that Denton Matejchuk is Owen Pickering's cousin? I heard that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I learned that <laughs> over the weekend. Um, but yeah, he's a guy who's just been, you know, just he did really well with Swift Current this year. He had 33 points in 62 games. But, you know, to go back on what you said, like at 6'5", 180, that's what Elite Prospects has him at. I can't remember what he clocked in at the Combine. I'm sure you can tell me. Um, but he like 
to be to have that offensive like ability and to have that smooth skating ability that he possesses, uh, it goes a long way. Like that, he could really pan out to be a top tier defenseman. Yeah, and and the thing is, he's no like I say, he's raised his his uh, his stock quite a bit. Like I say, he I'm pretty sure he was ranked, and I had him I had him ranked early second round when I first did my ranking. So yep. Um, you know what? I think he's definitely raised it to a uh, to much higher. I think he could definitely go in that fifteen range now. And um, man, uh, he sure he sure impressed at uh, the combine. That's for sure. And yeah. um, just just looking up his actual what he clocked in at the combine here, and he got six foot four point two five, so pretty close to six point five, um, okay. six six five. So like 0.75 away from there and 180. So six, six foot four point two five one eighty. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So elite prospects, they probably, I mean, that makes sense. Okay. Um, and that's not bad too. You gotta think he's 17. <laughs> well, yeah. I guess he's 18 now. I guess he is 18. He's got a January birthday. Um, yeah. But okay. So flip side, and then I'll let you get to your notes from it. Um, Jaeger Furcus, small guy. So we're going to talk about his little interview that he had. Um, one of the media guys asked him about his size and he kind of just straight up said, I don't care. <laughs> I've been small my whole life. And I think that's the fairest answer you can give. Um, yes. We've we've constantly talked about it on the podcast, probably for all we've got 19, 20 episodes now. We've probably talked about every episode. It, size doesn't matter in the league anymore. It's, like if you're gonna critique a player because they're five foot seven compared to six foot three, it it, it works in some aspects, absolutely. Like, don't get me wrong, I understand it. But with a guy like Furcus and guys like Alex DeBrincat and Johnny Goodrow and Logan Stankoven, it it doesn't matter. It, the the skill just completely outweighs the the height and weight that people yap about. Yeah, and, and that and like. You know, if, if you've listened to our the podcast before, you know what we yeah we're really against this stigma of height. I yeah, mean, it's just you know you're small, whatever. Like how many times? Like you mentioned a few of those guys there. I mean, how many times have guys proven that wrong? And uh, I get so annoyed when people kind of bring that up again. And uh, Lane Hudson's a perfect example. He's not WHL, so that I won't spend too much time on, but. Uh, no, but he's a great example. He's a great example of this. Like, and also now that you know, we know that he's supposed to be could get up to five ten. Um, so he's at clocking at five foot eight point two five according to uh, Mark here, but he's supposed to go to five, you know, grow to five ten. Yeah. So that's good, you know. And even if he did stay at five eight, I think he still can succeed. Um, just because of his hockey IQ, his skating, um, you know, stuff like that. So if you want to know more about him, I just listened to podcast, um, hockey writers podcast. I went on a bit of a rant on him uh, a couple episodes ago. So, <laughs> and that's totally fine though. But, and, and you know, it's funny you look at, so you look at, we'll talk about um, Jared Spurgeon. So there's a good player to talk about because former whl guy but he's been you know lane hudson's been compared to spurgeon uh a lot um and it's a lazy comparison because they're comparing him because of height but 
it it works in the sense that Spurgeon's five when Spurgeon's five nine. Okay, when he was drafted, he was five nine one sixty seven. Recently, he clocked in at five nine one seventy six. Do do you do you see what I'm getting at here? Yeah, <laughs> it do, like it doesn't matter. He, do you see that he's the captain of the Minnesota Wild? Yeah, like it, it just and Tory Krug. Tory Krug's. I don't think he's a Stanley Cup champion, so I could be wrong. I almost said that though. But Tory Krug, if you remember what he did to Robert Thomas in the Boston and St. Louis series. He like he's a smaller guy and he absolutely trucked over Robert Thomas. And it, it, he just, you know, these smaller guys play a big, big role. And most of the time they're offensive. I mean, Krug and Spurgeon are offensive defensemen in, in that sense. I guess they're more two-way guys. Yeah. Um, they are more two-way defensemen for sure. But even if you look at the guy like Quinn Hughes, who's what, 5'10"? Yeah. Yeah, he is remarkable. And yeah, Kale McCarr. Kale McCarr. Thank like, you. That was the next one. You took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> Look what he's done in the playoffs. Like, geez. Like, oh, it's right. I mean, all hail Kale, as people would say. <laughs> I mean, this guy is insane. And to think that we're witnessing what, um, you know, the guys on NHL and TNT, and I know that the guys on NHL and TNT obviously have, uh, People have their views on them, um, but you know Rick Tockett, and they were talking about how he he's the best defenseman since Bobby Orr, and I mean, yeah, I I don't think that's wrong. I no, he definitely he not. he's been insane, and the way that he just has you know twenty two points in the playoffs so far. Oh my god, and he's a defenseman. I mean, like that's just the biggest thing about all of this. I think it's like. I know his name was brought up a lot recently, especially this past year because of the whole Philadelphia Flyers um, drama involving Nolan Patrick and why the Flyers passed on, you know, not taking Kale McCarr or not taking Miro Heiskanen and that whole thing. But nobody predicted McCarr to be this type of player, I don't think. No, because he was playing the AJHL. Um, yeah, in his draft year, and there were some kind of talk. It's like, well, was he dominating that league because it's a lower league? Um, yeah, you know, but he still went fourth overall. And uh, I mean, like, a little bit of a tidbit for Canucks fans: um, the Canucks oh were apparently looking at Makar. Uh, if he went when you know, if he if Colorado didn't pick him, uh, yeah, the Canucks were apparently going to pick him. So wow. I mean, Canucks ended up picking Elias Pettersson, so that's not hey, a bad thing. So, <laughs> but it's not like Canucks could have drafted him because Colorado drafted him before. But to see that the Canucks were looking at him, that's some that's pretty good. So, I mean, but then the Canucks got Quinn Hughes, who's similar but not as. And you know, I, I said this on the podcast or the post game yesterday about you know I thought at one point I thought Quinn Hughes was better than McCarr. I'll backtrack on that. I think McCarr is a way better defenseman, um, more well rounded. I mean, Hughes has developed his defensive game more, so I mean he could develop into that. But just it, bottom line, it's amazing to have McCarr and um Hughes in the league at the same time so <laughs> oh yeah and Adam Fox and like yeah, Adam Fox like it, it's crazy to see these types of defensemen and what they're doing I mean I've always been a big fan of offensive defensemen and um you know growing up um 
some of my favorite defensemen. Now I'm trying to think farther back, but like Brian Campbell was a defenseman I really liked, but Campbell wasn't overly offensive. But you know, moving kind of more into like the 2010s and so on, like uh John Carlson, Eric Carlson. So you got no relation, one's American, one's Swedish. <laughs> But, but those are two guys who just were dominant back then, you know? P.K. Subban had 70-some-odd points at one point. Um, you know, there's just a number of defensemen who were just re- re- really good. And it's it's been fun to watch this new wave of, uh, of young offensive defensemen come through. And I think the battle that we're going to see for the next 15 years between McCarr and uh, Quinn Hughes and Adam Fox... Uh, I guess it's more between McCarr and Hughes because they're on the West. Yeah. But I, you, but you add in Fox because they're obviously those guys will will fight for the Norris um, every year probably. But the, I mean, it's it's exciting. And I there's can't more wait. coming too. Like you're like yeah, you know, like Luke Hughes coming. You got Owen Power. You got like yeah, it's I mean, crazy for defensemen. Like, it's going to be pretty crazy. And then you got some of these guys in this draft, which are going to be pretty good. So. Korchinski. Yeah. I mean, you look at what Korchinski just did this past season in Seattle and set the most points um, by a defenseman in in X amount of years in the WHL. Like he, it, yeah, Denton McKaychuk, um, and even to go back onto um, my Blazers bias, um, Matt Lindgren, yeah, is somebody that I think is really going to pan out into a just a remarkable defenseman, and it's not just me who thinks. Um, this, but I've heard from sources that they believe Lindgren has some of the best edge work and skating in the entire draft class. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He just, how he's able to use, um, you know, it's, it's not Kale McCarr like, but it's, uh, it's, it, you know, he's been compared Scott Wheeler in Wheeler's most recent uh, athletic draft rankings that he did. Um, he compared him to Miro Haskinen, and I was blown away when I saw that. Because if Lindgren can get to Miro Haskinen and he gets drafted after 32nd overall, oh my God. Yeah. Well, it, Heis- it, Haskinen it, was drafted third overall. So <laughs> and that's what I mean, right? Like it's gonna be it's gonna be crazy if he can live up to that type of potential. And obviously, there's things in Haskinen's game that are way more developed than what Lindgren has, and it's gonna be it's all about the development. Um, but you know, you look at some of these young kids coming up through the WHL and even in the OHL with Pavel Minchikov and yeah. um, Simone Nemitz over in Slovakia and Juracek. David Juracek. Thank you. Yep. Like I say, it's there's crazy, a lot crazy. of good defensemen. There's a lot yeah. of good defensemen in this draft. And well, looking towards 2023, there's probably a few there too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And 2023 is going to be even more. I think 2023 is more forward focused. Yes. Though. Yeah. It really is. But But still, I mean, um, we've gone off on a way too random, here. <laughs> yeah. But in terms of the NHL draft combine, you know, guys like Fergus Pickering, um, Connor Geeky. I mean, these are all guys who have impressed, and you know, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be interesting. Do you have any more notes on the combine? Well, one note I want to say to everyone, and this is something that we couldn't see for some of these guys that all the guys in the playoffs weren't able to go. So yeah. You know, we could have seen some other standouts like guys from the, like Korchinski, which didn't go, uh, you know, guys like Reed Schaefer, uh, who's I'm was really intrigued by. Oh, yeah. He would have been invited. Eh? Yeah, he was invited, but of course, couldn't come because of the playoffs. So, you know, 
all these guys that are in the OHL, WHL, and QMJHL playoffs, um, there are a bunch of them that were invited but didn't go because they're currently playing in the playoffs. So, <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. So, I mean, we could have seen some other standouts there. So just because, you know, some of these other guys and you're like, well, where was this guy? Well, because they weren't there. So just, just as a note to people, I mean, because there were a bunch of guys from these teams that were invited to the combine that uh, didn't attend because of their commitments in the playoffs here. Agreed. Agreed. And I think um, just on another note too, uh, just kind of reading something uh, from Philadelphia Hawk, now apparently they're very very interested in matt savoy um they apparently That's interviewed him a number of times yeah they interviewed him a number of times and apparently spoke to him for quite a long time uh savoy interviewed with 17 other teams but said that the flyers kept him the longest um and the flyers were very adamant about talking about his injury and how he would develop how he would heal up over the summer mm. um the flyers select uh fifth overall so yeah, if Savoy definitely. goes fifth, that would be pretty interesting because I think it's something that it could very well happen. Um, Savoy said that in the interview, uh, he told Philadelphia Hockey Now that he models his game after uh, Tampa Bay superstar Braden Point. Oh, that's pretty um, good. <laughs> great guy to model your game after. I mean, we, you're seeing it right now in the Tampa Bay series how much they miss Point. It's crazy. Oh. I mean, which is weird though because. They didn't, yeah, like he's been like they missed him last series too, but he definitely is being missed right now. Um, but yeah, I think Savoy, you know, obviously was coached by James Patrick, who just won the you know coach of the year award. Um, but it's gonna be interesting. Um, yeah, it's surprising though, because I mean, they're changing their kind of you know, because Philly doesn't usually go for smaller guys they're always their big bruisers right there are a lot of their bigger guys they want to draft and they've drafted them like well nolan patrick's a perfect example of that um bigger guy yeah. and uh but savoy's not big but uh he plays big you know the way he like we've i've talked we've talked about him a lot on the show and talked about prospect corner and stuff like that it, he's not afraid to go to those areas in the front of the net and he plays in the middle of the ice he doesn't play on the perimeter so you know, maybe that's what they're looking at because he's, he's willing to go into those dirty areas and, um, and play, even though he is of a smaller, smaller stature, but like we say, size doesn't really matter. <laughs> no. And I think, I think it would be really, I, I don't want to speak from a flyer standpoint, but I think, you know, you pass on Savoy, it would be a big mistake because let's think about it. Savoy, if he was six feet, cause he's five, nine. Right. He clocked in at what was it? Five, nine, one seventy five. If he was six feet tall, he'd probably be arguably a number one pick. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you're the Flyers and you're picking at five and you have the choice between him and this is hypothetical because I, who knows how the draft plays out here. But you have the choice between him and Simone Nemitz or David Juracek. Do you bite on the right? Like, do you bite on the right handed defenseman or do you bite on a player who could change your franchise? Yeah, because while well, the new you get about changing cores, like Giroux's gone. Exactly. So now they got to start a new core. And I, I really, like, I, I'm not a Philadelphia Flyers writer. I don't know. And uh, I, I can't, that's why I, I don't want to speak to their full prospect pool, but of the pool, like, I know a lot about a lot of the team's pools. And, you know, they don't have a strong uh, prospect pool. 
Um, they don't. Right now, I can't really pick one guy that's a huge guy you want to be like building around forward wise. So, no. uh, But think about it too, right? Not to not to cut you off, but they just did not offer Connor McClellan a contract. Yeah, yeah. Just the weirdest thing ever. Like, I think like, I don't know. I think I okay. In 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 a typical Philadelphia Flyers fashion, they they won't draft him, and instead they'll draft Cutter Gauthier or mm-hmm. Connor Gauthier, gotcha. somebody who's six three and two hundred pounds. <laughs> but and that's not to knock Gautier or Geek either. Cutter Gautier is outside of the WHL and really, yeah, outside of the WHL. Cutter Gautier is probably my favorite prospect. He is remarkable. I'm okay. Well, Jonathan Lakaramaki is another one of my favorite prospects, but yeah. Cutter is just, I mean, he plays a perfect 200 foot game. Um, and it's just a he's a bruiser out there. I mean, his name, his name just really says it all. Um, okay. but yeah, you know despite the little tangents that we've gone down here um, you know, the combine from what, you know, from what I've read through uh, some colleagues that have gone there and through uh, you know, former colleagues at the hockey writers reading their stuff, it seemed like it was a great time. And hopefully next year I can find myself there. I think that'd be a lot of fun. That's my goal too. So yeah. Yeah. There we go. My goal for next year, my goal is Memorial cup and draft combine, but I think they might run over one another. So I might have to pick one, which obviously it's in Buffalo again. Yeah, they normally do combines in Buffalo, it yeah. seems like. So I'm going to need my passport and uh, to yep. fly out there. So <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, we got a year to do that. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Okay? Yeah. Uh, thank you guys for listening to today's episode. Um, obviously, we went off on a long tangent there on a couple of times, but uh, we really appreciate all the listens and shares from everybody. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Western Centric. Uh, hit us up with an email, westerncentric at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow my work at Daily Faceoff and the Nation Network down below, along with Matthew's work at the Hockey Writers. Everything is in the links below in the description. Thank you guys so much and take care. We'll see you next week. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.